This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Born in 1823, Alfred Russell Wallace was a pioneering naturalist and biologist whose significant contributions to the field of natural history paralleled those of Charles Darwin. Wallace independently formulated the theory of evolution through natural selection, a concept he developed during his extensive explorations of the Malay archipelago, and his groundbreaking work in the 19th century is said to have laid the foundation for modern evolutionary biology. Wallace's collections from the Malay archipelago included a vast array of specimens from insects to birds, providing crucial evidence for his evolutionary theories. And his book, The Malay Archipelago, chronicles his travels and observations, offering invaluable insights into the region's biodiversity and cultural diversity. So today on the show, we want to reflect on his life to mark the bicentenary of his birth and to discuss how his life and legacy continue to inspire and shape our understanding of the natural world. Joining me to do that is Lim Zishin. He's a vertebrate paleontologist and zooarchaeologist with the Sarawak Museum and the Geology Department of University Malaya. He's also a huge Wallace fan. He's here to share more. Welcome, Sun. How are you today? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. It's so good to have you back on the show. So we just caught up. We just met actually a month ago, right? We were talking about fascinating fossils and, you know, all the different th- discoveries that you do uh, through your work as a vertebrate paleontologist and zooarchaeologist. And of course, you know, during that discussion, you mentioned Wallace and, you know, uh, the huge influence that he had on your life as well, isn't oh, it? Oh, yes, of course. And I'm so glad to be here today to talking about one of my academic heroes. And he really, he and his work actually has really inspired me quite a Lord, all these way. Okay, and so we're going to find out more. And, and and Alfred Russell Wallace, right? He led such a fascinating life. You know, it's been so interesting researching him. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, his work has had an in- enduring impact on fields of biology, anthropology. Um, let's talk. Let's discover more about him, right? So, um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, about his life? I guess, right? You know, what what were his early influences? You know, uh, that sparked that interest in natural history and exploration. Yeah. Um, Alfred Russell Wallace, uh, he is actually a, a prominent British naturalist from the Victorian period. Like you say, he was born in 1823, exactly 200 years from now. And and he made not only huge contributions towards the natural history research in two of the most biodiverse regions in the world, first in South America and then in Southeast Asia. Um, by exploring these areas, when places, most of places are still uh, remote, uncharted, and then uh, virtually untouched by modern developments, and frequently out of reach of ordinary peoples. But he, he had... At the same time, lasting contributions uh, towards uh, um, modern-day scientific thinkings by his original observations of the distributions of plants and animals across the Earth. And uh, above all else, he is now well-remembered to date because of his groundbreaking ideas on biological evolutions, independently developed from Charles Darwin's. And these ideas are still valid today, and then they are um, certainly one of the founding stones of biological thinkings. And to, to have such a huge impact on modern science, and from one who was born 200 years ago is simply remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. 
Definitely. And okay, so, you know, he, of course, uh, came to, he, he started his travels through the Malay archipelago, uh, which is now, of course, Malaysia and Indonesia, right? And that started in 1854. Did I get that date right? Yes, 1854 until 62. Okay, and so what is what was it that brought him to this part of the world in the first place? Now, um, he, we, we, we have to look back at his um, uh, upbringing in Britain first. Mm-hmm. Unlike Charles Darwin, he, he did, didn't have a wealthy family to fall back on when uh, he met with uh, times of difficulties. So he, he didn't have a chance to attend any universities, uh, um, educations, and has barely finished his high school. Mm. So in order to earn his bread and at the same time to, to keep on his passions about everything about natural histories, uh, but most important of all, uh, he has this inner desire to uh, look into the, the, what, what was called the species problems, okay. to find a natural explanations of the origin of the species instead of divine creations. He, he had to carve his own way uh, to, f- to earn a living and also to, to feed his interests in natural histories. So he made a lot of uh, roots that are out of the ordinaries at that time because um, of his very varied and very uh, um, colorful uh, life ways back in Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, he worked differently in different fields. At one time, he worked in the land surveys in Britain, and then uh, he designs architectures. But even though he met with a lot of difficulties, long and winding roads. He never gave up natural histories. Okay. He still find the times uh, to, to explore some of the natural areas where his works led him to. He actually make full use of the difficulties that he met with in life. Uh, and he even uh, um, go on to some highly risky, adventurous ventures to collect natural history specimens in South America and in in Southeast Asia, just in order to earn money to support his explorations. But money was not all in his mind when he's uh, planning his collecting trips. He has this firm determination that by having first-hand observations of the, the natural world, he may be able to find the answers to that problem uh, of the this origin of the species. And that's really the one of the major uh, reasons why he wants to explore uh, some of the natural areas in the tropics, for example, in Southeast Asia. Okay, all right. And, and as you mentioned, you know, he spent, what was it, about eight years, isn't it? Uh, eight long years eight. in Southeast Asia. <laughs> and yeah. so many significant, uh, both biological and also geographical, uh, geological, sorry, discoveries, right? Um, uh, so where did he travel to? So it was Borneo, Java, Sulawesi, New Guinea. Did I get that yes, right? Yes, all sorts of islands in the Malay archipelago that later they become parts of Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, Timor Leste. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So fascinating, right? And um, what, maybe you can uh, talk to us a little bit about some of his major expeditions uh, in what is now Asia, I suppose, uh, highlighting those key discoveries he made. Maybe some of them. Oh yeah. Um, during these long eight years of traveling in in uh, certain parts of Southeast Asia, uh, from eighteen fifty two to sixty, eighteen fifty four to sixty two, uh, he has made some. 
uh, extensive travels around the regions, high adventures, and then have jubilant uh, scientific discoveries and, and also collecting new species and uh, new species records in the regions. And uh, one of his uh, key findings from the region is that he map up the distribution of animals across the regions, and he finds strong scientific evidence supporting there is a meeting place between two great fauna divisions in parts of Southeast Asia, for example, between Bali and Lombok in the south and between Borneo and Sulawesi in the north. And the areas that is to the east of this meeting point is called Australasia, where you have the, the very characteristic fauna of the marsupials, the, the kangaroos, uh, the birds of paradise, and the cassowaries. But to the east of this meeting point, which is in an area that we nowadays call the oriental regions, you have all sorts of big herbivores like the tapirs, rhinos, elephants, and lots of primates, including orangutans. And uh, nowadays, these demarcations of the areas is named after the Wallace. It's called the Wallace Line. Mm -hmm. And it has a very, very colorful geological past. And it's still a valid uh, scientific fact since uh, Alfred Russell Wallace collecting all those uh, specimens, made all those few observations in support of these demarcation lines somewhere in Southeast Asia. Okay, all right. So that, I mean, yes, Wallace's line, I mean, we still call it that, isn't it? So, uh, and, you know, making that sort of uh, two distinct regions, right? That that uh, divisive, that division, right? And that had a profound impact on the study of biogeography, am I correct? Oh, yes. In fact, he is the first person who applied evolutionary biology uh, looking into the distribution of animals and plants. That's the reason why he's called the father of evolution biogeography. Okay, all right. And and we're still studying his uh, some of his findings even today, right? I mean, it still influences the work that even it, you do. Yes, even I or some of my colleagues, they are still looking into the minute uh, details of the, the biogeography of the regions. Is Southeast Asia, especially this part of Southeast Asia where the East and uh, West met, it's is highly complex and has a very rich geological past. And so all the distributions of plants and animals, the microorganisms, they, they are highly fascinating and can actually become uh, the, the, the food for thought uh, on uh, future biological research. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, for, for you, Sen, you know, how did his work come to impact you? How did it, you know, uh, influence, you know, exactly what you're studying and what you're researching? Yeah. How did his impact on you? Yeah. Uh, first, I'm, I'm fascinated by, uh, I'm, I'm a biologist. Uh, I study biology in my university uh, educations and I'm interested in evolutions. And uh, when Alfred Russell Wallace was traveling in parts of Southeast Asia, he actually composed two important papers that have become the founding stones of modern biological thinking. One of them is uh, now called the Sarawak Law Papers. It was um, finished writing at the foothill of Sandubung in Sarawak in one of the bungalows of Sir James Brooke and was published in 1855. And then uh, three years later, in 1858, he published another ground-shaking essay called the Donate Papers. And these um, papers were published... Uh, um, he and Charles Darwin has co-published mm. on their respective um, findings of evolution by means of natural selections. And 
this is the answer that both these great men of science are searching for decades. That is a natural explanation of the origin of species by means of natural selections Mm -hmm. and not by uh, special creations by supernatural forces. And so it fits well with the saying that great minds think alike, isn't it? And and because of my fascinations of the the, uh, biological evolutions, I get into Alfred Russell Wallace and I realized that, hey, there is this one uh, naturalist explorer from from Britain who came over here about uh, 150 years ago exploring some of the places that that I think I'm familiar with. Uh, (laughs) One of the places was uh, where I was born in Malaysia, but he knew far more better than I do about the place that I was born in. And I started to look at some of his scientific writing, especially his travelogue, and then finding some very fascinating uh, descriptions of the the flora and fauna that I thought I'm familiar with, but in fact, I'm not. And and I learned my first uh, natural history learnings of Southeast Asia, of Malaysia, through the eyes of Elsa Russell Wallace. Okay, all right. What a profound impact. And I, I mean, when he returned home, he published that book, right? The Malay Archipelago, right? And so vivid, wasn't it? His accounts of of the, you know, the islands, as you mentioned, the the, the birds of paradise, orangutans, all of that, isn't it? Yes, it was published in 1862 and has never gone out of print since. And also there are a couple of uh, translations of the, the book into the different languages. And it is simply fascinating. And when it was published, it is very soon became the classic of natural history travel writings at all times. Mm. Highly fascinating, vividly describing all the, the uh, not just the plants and animals, but also the local cultures of the native peoples in Southeast Asia. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk to you about that, but let's just go for a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about how, uh, you know, he was one of the few who, you know, acknowledged and spoke about the people who were living uh, in the areas that he was exploring. I'm speaking today to Lindsay Shen. He is a vertebrate paleontologist and a zoo archaeologist from the Sarawak Museum and the Geology Department of the University of Mal- we are celebrating uh, Alfred Russett Wallace today. You know, his uh, explorations, his exotic expeditions, you know, it is uh, to mark the bicentenary of Wallace's birth. Uh, he was born in 1823. So we're just catching it right at the end of this year. I mean, we make sure we did it. <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll have more after this quick break. Keep it here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. In the studio with me today, Limsey Shen. He's a vertebrate paleontologist and a zoo archaeologist. He's a huge Alfred Russell Wallace fan. And we are discussing Alfred Russell Wallace today. Uh, it is the anniversary of the uh, the bicentenary of Wallace's birth. He was born in 1823. Yes, we're doing it a little bit late, but we know we're catching it right at the right at the end of 2023. So we want to find out more about his fascinating life, his enduring impacts on the fields of biology, anthropology, geography, uh, all the different uh, aspects of his life. So before the break, uh, Sun, we were talking about how, uh, you know, he discovered so much and he wrote so much in that book, The Malay Archipelago, right? And I think, you know, when I was reading also, uh, one of the things that were fascinating about him was he spoke about the indigenous peoples as well. He spoke about the people who helped him, uh, including somebody called Ali, I believe, right? You have some stories to share with us, yeah? Oh, yes. Um, The fact that Alfred Russell Wallace managed to achieve so much uh, during his eight long years uh, travels and exploration in Southeast Asia is is because he has uh, the the help from local peoples, 
wherever he goes. And he, when he wanted to explore the places, first you have to, to get familiar with the places and also the people around them as uh, helpers, cookers, as, as porters to bring in all the supplies you know, to some of the remote areas that he wanted to, to go and collect natural history specimens. So um, he has the help of one of the local uh, helpers by the name Alid, uh, who was introduced to him by Sir James Brook. Ali was first his uh, cook during his travels in, in Sarawak, but later on he became not just a cook, but also a um, very capable hunters and collectors of natural history specimens. He taught Wallace how to speak in Bahasas, and then he also uh, taking care of Wallace when Wallace was down with all kinds of tropical diseases, they lay on bed and cannot really go out and collect the specimens. <laughs> so um, with the help of the Ali and also another um, uh, helpers uh, by the name Charles uh, Martin Allen, uh, they together managed to collect uh, a total of about 125,660 natural history specimens wow. from all across uh, the Malay archipelagos. And many of these specimens have become parts of collections of the museums in the world. And some of them have still been uh, actively researched by modern-day scientists like myself. Okay. So uh, actually, it's the locals people that really help Wallace a lot in building up his reputation as a scientist and also helped him to uh, look after the day-to-day -day operations of his explorations in South uh, in Malay Archipelagos. Mm -hmm. And I think the difference was that he acknowledged it, right? Oh, yes. Uh, in his uh, travel out to Malay Archipelagos, he actually has a, a, um, a picture or a drawing of Ali uh, dressed in uh, European costumes. It was, uh, I think, based on a photograph that uh, was uh, taken in Singapore towards the end of the, his explorations in 1862. Okay, yeah. all right. So again, you know, that's a book that we really, really need to get out. And it's still in print, right, as you mentioned. It's still so. in print, the, the books. Um, and Wallace actually lived into the great old man of science in his 90 years old and producing a lot of uh, great works. And one of them, uh, perhaps his most popular one, is the, the Malay Archipelagos. Definitely uh, worth a read from the first until the last pages. Okay. And like yeah. you said, you know, so familiar and yet you don't actually know, right? Like that was your experience as well, yes. isn't it? Okay. All right. So I, let's talk a little I do. You did mention briefly, you know, the whole Wallace-Darwin thing, right? Uh, do you want to just, uh, maybe we can talk a little bit more uh, in depth about that because I was reading how uh, Wallace you know I think what was it he was kind of feverish confined in his hut in an island of Ternate right and mm. um, then he had that realisation right he understood how species evolved uh, they changed because the fittest individuals survived uh, and reproduced passing their advantageous uh, characteristics of the offspring right and then he wrote straight to Darwin isn't it because oh yes yeah yeah. well actually Charles Darwin and uh, Alfred Russell Wallace met with one another as I know from one of the books that I read, uh, they met with one another well before Wallace started his Malay archipelago's explorations. Mm -hmm. uh, they, were, they were inspecting some specimens in the British museums. Mm -hmm. And after that, Wallace knew that Darwin was working on similar uh, scientific research works on the species problems. And so when after it, um, Wallace published his 1855 Sarawak Law Papers, uh, he had a copy 
sent to Europe, and these copies were passed on to Charles Darwin. And Charles Darwin, from then on, realized that Alfred Russell Wallace was also working on the similar questions uh, to look into a natural explanations of the origin of species. And when three years later, in uh, the Hamahera Islands, in uh, at that time called the Jilolo Islands, uh, Wallace actually uh, um, wrote an essay uh, outlining his thinkings about the mechanisms of evolution, how evolution actually works, and how new species could actually be uh, brought out through such kind of uh, natural mechanisms. Uh, he has the the draft and also letters sent off to Charles Darwin. Mm-hmm. And Darwin received it in, in the, back in his home in, down in, in England. And he realized that, oh my gosh, Alfred Russell Wallace actually thought out the very details about natural selections, very similar to his own. He even said that some of the words that Alfred Russell Wallace used could actually use as a subtitles for my big book on the species. Mm-hmm. And so through the arrangement of some of common friends, um, they have the, the Wallace uh, sketch of the essay and also the Darwin's uh, previous and published work to be uh, read in a meetings of the Linnean Society in London. And that was in 1858 and has become the uh, joint publications of the theory of natural selections by Charles Darwin and Alfred Russell Wallace. Okay. And and then the following, was it the following year the Origin of Species came out? Yes. After that, uh, in 1859, mm-hmm. Darwin's his uh, books on the origin of species. Okay. All right. And I, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people would think like, oh, perhaps, you know, I mean, I guess Darwin kind of over overshadowed maybe uh, Wallace in that but Wallace never felt any resentment right because he was actually a big supporter of Darwin's work and he was a huge fan right? Oh never yeah, yeah. Now, uh, uh, Wallace never had any bad feelings towards Charles de Darwin's and he actually in one of his most popular books the Malay Archipelagos he dedicated the book to Charles Darwin this is just a very very uh, uh, warm-hearted science of what kind of person, what kind of a scientist that Alfred Russell Wallace, who I always like to call Tuan Wallace, uh, <laughs> is... Yeah, yeah, and this is the thing that I found quite fascinating, right? Because you know we believe, okay, look, these men of science, even you describe them as them, but he, Wallace, uh, was actually a surprising spiritualist, right? He did believe that um, that the human that hum, that the human spirit persisted after death. Did I did I get that right? Oh, well, he is a strong believer of. Um, as spiritualisms, uh, he attended some of the, the um, uh, gatherings of the spiritualists in England, and then he actually also encouraged uh, some of his colleagues to look into the scientific basis of the, the existence of the spirits. Uh, that is one of the many aspects of the Alfred Russell Wallace that still need to be uh, researched in full. Okay. Like he, apart from spe- uh, being a spiritualist, he is also a supporter of land nationalisms. Uh, he also support uh, giving full rights to women to vote. And he is such a person, a scientist, with 
every mind working actively in his brain. Mm. So you could see a lot of contrasts within one single person. <laughs> He's a real person in blood and flesh and not the cold-hearted uh, uh, scientific man that we always read in some of the, the more conventional biographies. Okay. All right. What a fascinating person, right? And were there any... Um you know any lesser known aspects of his uh, of his expeditions or his discoveries uh, in Asia that maybe you know often overlooked in discussions about his life and work? Anything that you'd like to highlight? Mm, within Southeast Asia, uh, he he composed two of the, the most important works on modern day evolution biologies, and this has firmly placed Southeast Asia and its very unique biodiversities as a cradle mm. of evolutionary thinkings. And uh, these biological uh, heritage, it's still um, in in parts of Southeast Asia. This is still pretty untouched. Okay. So it could be um, a hotbed for further scientific discoveries, scientific ideas, like what Wallace had done uh, two hundred or one hundred and fifty years ago. Yeah. Okay. All right. And um, you mentioned there's you know lots of notable um, collections still still in existence, right? Um, and you are still studying some of them. You mentioned anything in, anything you'd like to share about you know that you are particularly interested in? Uh, he collected quite a lot of natural history specimens, and I'm I'm very fascinated by the mammals because of the the. The nature of my research works require me to visit uh, museum collections. Usually, these collections are reserved for scientists for doing scientific research. And I make every effort to, to look at the drawers, the cabinets of the museums, to see whether there are specimens that that, that were actually collected by Wallace. Uh -huh. And in the process, uh, I found some, uh, especially you got uh, birds, and also lots of mammals that he collected, and in particular some of the orangutan's um, materials that he collected have become part of the, the reference collections that I used in the studying the orangutan fossils to okay. from from Peninsular Malaysia and also from Sarawak. Okay, all right. And in terms of his scientific legacy, you know, um, what would you say is you know his greatest contribution, or you know, what would you say is his lasting legacy? His lasting legacy would be. Uh, to give us a lesson of how modern day scientists should be like, to have um, hide, uh, to always keep your passions about the natural history mm -hmm. going on, never kill the sense of curiosity. And in a very uh, Malaysian context, uh, one of his lasting uh, contributions is that, that he actually um, uh, proposed and, and at the same time they gave full support uh, to its scientific investigation of caves in Borneo and Peninsula Malaysia. Yeah. He sit on uh, committees uh, of the Royal Society and also of the Society for the Advancement of Sciences that actually uh, sponsors some of the scientific expeditions to look into the, the caves in, in Sarawak and also in Pencil Malaysia. Um, it's because of his strong belief that by looking into the unique life uh, living inside the caves and also the prehistoric bones preserved fossils inside the, uh, inside the caves, 
this could actually give us a better understanding of the, the evolution of the local fauna mm-hmm. and also uh, prehistoric humans. So within the Malaysian context, this is one of these scientific fields that actually was originally proposed and suggested by Alfred Russell Wallace and that are still actively lead, mm-hmm. uh, carried out by modern day uh, local Malaysian scientists over here. Mm-hmm. So I think this is one of his uh, less known lasting contributions uh, to, to Malaysia. Yeah, and as you told us in our previous conversation, right? I mean, so many discoveries still being made in our limestone hills, in our caves, some of the, which that you are involved in as well, right? So many fascinating things that we haven't quite unearthed yet, right? Yes, well, that's simply... Uh, scratching the surface and there's still a lot of the unknowns mm-hmm. a lot of things to be explored and that is the reason why we should behave like Wallace never kill your sense of curiosities mm-hmm. and go dig deeper and learn more things about the natural world that we live in. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, going back to our previous conversation, you know, what we learn from the past, you know, can really influence uh, how we deal with our current issues, right? With the climate crisis, with all the different uh, situations that we're finding ourselves in now, we can look to the past to see some answers about how to deal with it now, isn't it? Yes. And in fact, Alfred Russell Wallace actually contributed to, to such an understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, his collections was collected about uh, 150 years ago. It's, it can be considered as, as old specimens. And they are still actively being researched. And new scientific information uh, has been have been, uh, obtained from these old specimens. So by looking at these old specimens, perhaps we may know something about the past uh, uh, animal life or plant life in, in areas that have th- are totally gone. Yeah. yeah. And again, uh, you know, just... Uh, Pointing on the fact that we need to protect these areas, right? They they should be kept intact. There's so much uh, exploration left to be done. Mm-mm. Because these are natural heritage that, that are, uh, in many cases, irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. Once it's gone, it's gone forever. Yeah. And like you said, you're still discovering things even today, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> New things are all around every day. Okay. All right. Well, so thank you so much, you know, for joining me today. Any, any last message or any other things that you feel our listeners must know about Alfred Russell Wallace uh, or why they should go and find out more about him. Uh, I, I, I would really encourage all people to organize all sorts of, of events just to remember Wallace, not just uh, in 2023 during his 200th uh, uh, birthday, but perhaps they're during his uh, 201st birthday uh, <laughs> next year to organize more talks, more seminars, to read more about his books, because these um, naturalist explorers from the 19th century actually have so many things to, to teach us about. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think Sunda Shelves is a good place to go and get uh, some copies of uh, books related to his work as well, isn't it? Yes, Sunda Shelves is such a, a lovely bookstore uh, dedicated to natural history and Malaysiana topics. There's actually uh, bringing more stocks about Wallace's uh, uh, books and so if you are interested, especially on his travelogues, you should actually go to, to Sunda Shelves and find the copies. It's definitely Definitely worth the readings. You know, it's an, on that note of, um, you know, learning more about Wallace's life, right? I mean, there, he has published so many books. Um, you know, any any uh, reading recommendations or any anything from his books that you'd like to share that really inspired you? Well, his, his travel book, uh, The Malay Archipelago, is actually a very fascinating book that I repeatedly say so during these interviews. And uh, there are many passages that modern readers could 
read about the interesting aspects of uh, Southeast Asia from these books. And if I'm allowed, I would like to cite a few written by him. Of course. On the fruit most of us are familiar with, and many of us adorn the durians. <laughs> so in uh, chapter five of his travelogue, he wrote that the edible part of the durians is a rich butterlight custard, highly flavorful with almonds, gives the best general idea of it. But intermingled with it come wraps of flavor that caught my cream cheese, onion sauce, brown sherry, and other incongruities, a rich glutinous smoothness, which nothing else possesses, but which adds to its delicacy. It is neither acid nor sweet nor juicy, yet one feels the one of none of these qualities, for it is perfect at its ease. And then he continued on, the more you eat of it, the less you feel inclined to, to stop. <laughs> In fact, to eat durians is a new sensation worth a voyage to the East to experience. So in the end, uh, about durians, he concluded that I at once became a confirmed durian eater. <laughs> I like him even Isn't more. Isn't this fascinating? <laughs> <laughs> I like him even more now. There you go. <laughs> Sun, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. I was speaking to Lindsay Shen. He is a vertebrate paleontologist and a zoo archaeologist with the Sarawak Museum and the Geology Department of the University of Malaya. We were talking about the life of Alfred Russell Wallace, his uh, explorations, exotic expeditions. We were doing this because uh, it is the bicentenary of Wallace's birth. So yes, we are celebrating that amazing life. But if you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my slash earth. You can also find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.